Welcome everybody. I have to say, personally, I'm overjoyed about this evening's guest, who is somebody I've been friendly with for a long time. Friendly with? Friendly with, but never got to spend that much time with. I thought we were friends. We're very good friends. Yeah. You behave. <laughs> I've never got to spend that much time, but now I'm getting to spend quite a lot of time with him. Okay. In his home country, yeah. I'd like to welcome a picture, Mati. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be on board. Yes, now we are up in Upekshmati's room. The balcony overlooks the beautiful, beautiful retreat centre at Chantamani, which is now in the dark, but illuminated by the full moon. Indeed. Lovely. And with the sound of a puja, which we did not attend. We did not attend because we were doing this in the background, but you can hopefully pick it up. So Upekshmati, for those of you who don't know, there's a lot we're going to learn, I think, about Mexico, Mm -hmm. about the Sangha here, Mm -hmm. the history, perhaps even the future. But first of all, the thing you should know is that an awful lot of what's in Mexico, and it is extremely successful, is not entirely down to the work of Upekshmati, but Upekshmati is the founder, which is a very interesting position to be in. And it's one of the reasons I was particularly keen to have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. So much experience. And actually what I want to say is so much joy. So much joy in the Dharma. That's what comes across with the picture, Matty. Mm-hmm. And he plays in the Dharma. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely to have witnessed over the years. So well. Thank you very much. So what would you like to know? What would I like to know? Well, what would your audience like to know? Well, hey, listen, the Dharma has been alive and thriving in Mexico for, what, 20 years? More 20 than? years now. 20 yeah. years now. And you did your training elsewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm. But you came back here and there are two magnificent Buddhist centres. I mean, and I say magnificent, I'm not exaggerating. They're not just large, they're very large. They're not just extremely beautiful and aesthetically mm-hmm. organised. They're not just full of people full of young people experiencing spiritual life, experiencing community. It's something almost, well, it's hard to pin down exactly what it is, but there's something right about them when you're there. You feel, this is what we can do at our best. That's a very gracious introduction, actually. Well, it's it's true, isn't it? And the thing is, it is in large degree because of the work you've done through your life. Thank you. But you know what I usually do when I start speaking about Mexico is that I, I try just to clarify to people where Mexico is. <laughs> you can, you can have, okay, Google Maps of Benjamin, yes, go on. Yes. So you must know that there is a continent named America, or the Americas as we call it. And upper north is the North America, which comprises United States and Canada. Huge lands, mm. huge lands, beautiful lands. But then... Down to the south is Mexico, which it is worth remembering that Mexico is part, geographically speaking, is part of North America. Culturally speaking, is part of Latin America. We share language, we share culture with the rest of Central and South America. But when it comes to geography, Mexico is up in North America. It has a beautiful climate. It's a large country, large and it has 113 million people. I live in Mexico City, that's where I was born. Mexico City is quite high up and is within a valley. And it's a valley where it rains a lot. And it has now 19 million people living here. 
and then it has merged with the next city, uh, which is the state of Mexico, and both together comprise the metropolitan area, and there are 24 million. It's a huge city. It's the largest city in the world? Some, some say, but I think Shanghai has Shanghai overtaken well. us uh. altogether. There's two, uh, two uh, even one in Rio or whatever. In Brazil, there's another one It's large. But it's a large city. And I happen to be born in the south of the city, which is sort of cultural. So I managed to get a, a place. Our first center about 20 years ago was in the lovely colonial side of Mexico, which is called Coyoacán. We were there for six years. Activities just grew and grew and grew. I usually say this because it's funny, because some people say that only an idiot hasn't got an audience in Mexico because it's such a large city that you have to be very full to get a large audience to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so I got a fair amount of people. And one thing that I'm very keen myself on is advertising. Mm. I am quite, I could say quite remorselessly that I'm quite proud of Triratna. I think we got it right. I think it's great. So I'm in love of Bantis teaching. I'm in love with how Trirana works. It has worked amazingly well for me and for most of the people that come across to it. So I was very keen to make it known to people that there was a very sensible approach to the Dharma. So as soon as I arrived here, I advertised. I was sort of experiencing business because I worked a lot within the center. I was well-trained in how to organize meetings, how to make money, how to make the books balanced. And even I, I helped I started a center or what it could have been a center in South London with all the other members. So I got a very good training in administration and also in approaching the Dharma and teaching the Dharma. So I was equipped to start a center. And I started and it worked very well. People were very happy and it worked like any other center. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I just taught meditation. I just give talks. And my way to do it, it was just for free. I give, you know, talks on the Dharma, the life of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, or whatever. Open, free, and allow people to come in. But I tell you what I have come to discover, and then it's very, very useful. If you ever think of starting a center, you should do three things. First of all, advertise. Secondly, offer most of your activities for free. But thirdly, and most important, is to try to get a core of people as soon as you can. What I mean by a core is certain people that are fairly enthusiastic that could help you out and that you could connect with. Those people are going to be very useful in the sense that they're going to help you out to set up the conditions, but they're going to make other people receptive to what they say because they trust you. And when people come to a situation, when they see already someone with a core of people around them, just trusting and trustful, people come to trust the situation. So I think that that was something intuitively I did, which worked very well. So that sounds very good. Now we're going to jump back and forward in time, sure. I think, with this. So you've just given very good three-point seminar for people who may mm -hmm. start Buddhist centres in the mm -hmm. future, or perhaps people who already run Buddhist centres now. Just to give people a sense of context for all this, fast-forwarding okay. to the present day, how many people come through the Mexico City Buddhist centres, plural, because you, mm -hmm. you have more than one, 
Mm-hmm. How many come through now in a week? All the activities we do, usual stuff, you know, talks and courses and open classes, yoga, tai chi, shiatsu, retreats, all that. An average comes through the main center. It comes from 800 to 1,200 people a week. That's some people coming twice or three times a week. Some people just coming once or whatever. And then we have another center, which is not as large, but it's fairly large. And that has about 600 people. So in a good week, we could have between 1,600, 1,400 to 1,800 people a week. Again, it's not everyone for Buddhism and meditation, but let's say half of it come from Buddhism and meditation, and they get to study or to have contact with an man. Mm. Now, just to pause with that, when you actually think about it, mm-hmm. that's a very, very large number of people. Mm. And most businesses would be ecstatic mm. if 1,800 mm. people came mm. through, apart from a large department store mm. or something. So you've got a very successful business. You've got a very successful community. Mm-hmm. You've just given us these three points that, looking back on it, you can see mm. these three things were important. So how long did it take you to establish those three things at your first attempt at a centre? And when did you start to notice, this is really working? I tell you, when, to begin with, I was not that ambitious because for the first six years, I sort of had a very small centre. Hardly 50 people could fit into the shrine at most, maybe 60, but very packed. So it wasn't that such a good. But then I thought I have to rent somewhere else near enough the center with a large room where I could do these big events or talks or festivals or things. I hired a place and much more people came. But I tell you something else I did. I do my main activities on weekends. I don't do them throughout the week. It's when people have the time. It's when people have the means to go is when people are most relaxed and when it's work best or something I was very surprised about is that in England they don't do the main activities on Sunday it makes a certain kind of sense to me but I also wonder if it's partly cultural because Mm. I noticed for example at Mm. the La Roma Centre the other day I was astonished there were you know maybe 150 people many of them were very young in the building on a Saturday afternoon Mm. at 4pm And I know that in the UK and in the US, actually, mm. it would be extremely difficult to get people to come to something at 4pm in the afternoon on mm. a Saturday mm. because most people eat their evening meal mm. sometime between half past five and maybe 6.30. And, of course, the rhythms in Mexico City mm. and, and Mexico generally are very different from that. And I suspect that with big centres that are very successful in the UK, like the London Buddhist Centre... I don't think they do most of their events on weekends, although they have weekend things going on. Mm. But do you think it is partly cultural that things work on the weekend in Mexico? Well, I'll tell you something I find interesting. Dhamma Vijaya was here for two years, working and helping out. And then he went back to Croydon, and he started things on Saturday and Sunday. And they are very well attended, much better attended throughout the week. He told me the other day that one of the most attended activities takes place on Saturday. Mm. So I think it's worth trying. It's worth trying, yeah. Especially on Sunday, you know. There's something about Sunday. That's why the church gets pulled off. That's right. Where people just lend themselves to go and to meditate and do day retreats mm-hmm. and talks, everything. So again, if you're thinking of, of starting a center, I'll go for Sunday. 
for the Yupite. Now, Pitos. maybe we should we should call this interview How to Start a Buddhist <laughs> Yeah, like that. The Apixamati Crash Course. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So there you are. You're, you're doing these things. After six years, you managed to expand. Mm. When did you get a first real sense that you were not just a bit successful, that actually there was the real chance to be very successful? I tell you, when, when we managed to get a very old, very ruined house, which was huge and had a lot of potential, when we changed from Coyoacan, because they sold the house, the small center where we used to live, and we have to find a house, I found this house, which was huge, was in ruins, it was pretty bad, and we undertook to take it. It was a big house, very impressive, in a very good neighborhood, and something happened, I remember very well. My first classes in that place, after we refurnished it, and we spent a lot of money doing it up, and it was decent to have classes, I noticed people took us more seriously. Mm. The fact that we had such a big building and people going through the door with such a big building and we did all the gimmicks, you know, we put fountains and murals and things. The fact that they just, I don't know, something about psyche in which they say, these people must be serious because they have such a big place. I don't know. I don't believe that in my heart. You can have very serious people doing things in a friend's house or whatever. But some is something about people taking you seriously yeah, when you are... Well, it's hard to start a successful Buddhist center or find a successful anything if you don't have a positive public perception. Yes. And that helped a lot. You know, I'm quite keen on doing things very nicely and spending a lot of money in publicity as well as making the place beautiful. Because I think you send a message. When people come and they see a beautiful shrine, a beautiful mural, a beautiful building a beautiful place it's like they trust somehow or you send a double message not just by what you're saying which is dharma but also by where you're doing it almost it's like people feel proud about being part of that sure and it's something interesting because i believe that if you make it very cheap but at the same time make it very beautiful that combination is a killer you know, people feel like I could be in a beautiful place, then they're not taking my money. Because one thing that I was very keen is not to charge a lot. Though we have much better building, much better place than a lot of other groups, we were charging much less. And people came to trust that. You know? mm. These people are serious about not trying to make a business out of it. Yeah. And I think it worked. I think that's how we worked. I was not consciously doing that. I was just did it and it's so, so let's skip together. forward again in time is that still the model for you now that, that very much yeah yes very much we still you know though we also have one of the biggest yoga schools we charge far less than most of other schools of yoga mm. and we are known now by other yoga centers like the walmart of yoga because we do it so cheaply <laughs> just to clarify one thing is that in order to do that you have to invest in large rooms you cannot charge very little if you have small rooms because you have to hire well you have to pay the rent you have to pay the teacher but you only have a limited amount of people that can attend that class whereas if you have a room which we do over 200 meters you can have 60 or 70 class which we can reduce the price and get to pay all your expenses at the same time hmm. so if anyone is thinking about renting a place for a center, I would say that one of the main criteria should be large rooms with a lot of people competing in one single class. 
that would save you a lot of money in the long run, in the short term as well. Hmm. Now, I'm going to talk in a little bit, I think, about where you go next, where Opechamati goes next. But actually, one thing that's on my mind from listening to you talk about this is Mexico City, the Sangha here, the community here, the two centres you have, the other centres in Cuernavaca and Querétaro. Yeah. I would say it's probably the case that most members of the Tratla Buddhist community worldwide have very little or possibly no knowledge of your Sangha and the huge success here with the Dharma in Mexico. And, you know, obviously language is one big feature, geography is a big feature. Mm-hmm. Now with the internet, here we are, we're starting to cover Spanish language stuff. We're talking mm-hmm. about how we can extend that over the next few years. But I suppose the thing that excites me coming to Mexico for the first time and seeing all this is you've got something amazing to give mm-hmm. to the rest of our community, which they don't even know about. Yeah. So if you were going to sum that up, what is it you've got to give after these 20 years? I've got to use a cliche word, but I like to empower people to do it other places, you know. I think there's places like, I mean, just take your pick, you know. It could be Africa. It could be places like in Spain, you know, Barcelona, Madrid. And then just go and say, I'm going to make it big. I remember once Bante said that you need three things to make it big, as it were, you know, to start a center. Enthusiasm, enthusiasm, and enthusiasm. <laughs> Which is just a way to say, you just do it. Mm. Do it big. And also, you know, if you're a bit ambitious and you want to make a difference, it's a great way to do it by starting a center. But go ambitious. Because one of the things that the Buddhist center has here is that it's becoming a right livelihood. We employ 42 people at both centers. That's without teachers. Wow. 42 people. We give the means to support the set to 42 people. We pay them well, way above the average Mexicans. And those people are very happy. All of them are Buddhist. All of them are within Tri Ratna. And that in itself, to me, is very important. And that's one of the classic bits of the Tri Ratna model, isn't it? Is that we start communities and right livelihood businesses that enable us to live as much of our lives as possible as Buddhists, Mm. to work with other Buddhists, to live with other Buddhists at least to have some element of that in our in our lives. Yeah. So it seems you're doing something quite classical. And I suppose that word enthusiasm, Yeah, you've been doing this for a long time now. And it occurs to me knowing you that enthusiasm is something that just pours out of you a lot of the time. You're mm. genuinely excited mm. about not just the history of it and not just the success, not just the ambition. You're genuinely excited about the Dharma. Mm-hmm. It still lights you up. Well, you know, I'm from the old school, 80s, FWB, as it was called yeah, before. Yeah. And we were dead enthusiastic about things, you know. We thought we could change the world. So why have you not become jaded? Jaded? <laughs> you mean like uh, worn jaded. out? Yeah, worn out. Why have you not burned out? Why have you not... Grow, grown older and, and thought, you know, ah, you life's, know, life's not really like that. What keeps your Dharma inspiration alive? Well, I think it's people, basically. I mean, it's, I know it's, it's, it might sound like cliche, but it is people. Once you get some people that you could just present the Dharma, without you too much in the way, present something you trust. You know, I am truly in love with Pantis way to express it. I'm truly in love. I love the way he thinks. I love the way he... Pulses. I love the way he arranges talks. I love the way he presents the Dharma. One thing that I very grateful from Bhante is that he taught me how to think about the Dharma that I haven't found anywhere else. Honestly, I don't think I would have 
got involved in the Dharma. If he wouldn't have been for Sri Ratna. The way it was put forward made so much sense in my life. I was not into the Tibetan stuff, not the various tears, Zen or the salvation type of Buddhism. But when I came across such a sound, down-to-earth way to express things like the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, and what have you, or meditation even, I fell in love. I just had a sense that this is for me. Also, I quite like that people will not... You know, very often I go to other... Buddhist groups and places where people have some, what we say in Mexico, guruitis. Then they really, not in love with the teacher, they obsess with the teacher. Mm. I did not find that in Twitter. This is the guru thing, isn't it? Yeah, I find people very much into each other, very keen into each other. I find out about Bhante way after that. And I was very struck by the fact that people were enthusiastic about something, but there was not any head there they draw two. Eventually, when you get involved, you realize that there is some process. Oh, of course, there's a hierarchy and all that stuff in a certain way. But it's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't really do charisma. No, he doesn't. <laughs> in fact, he's kind of anti-charisma, Sangharakshita. Well, he's not very charismatic. And, and the culture of friendship. Of course, you know, those things are complex in terms of human relationships. But the culture of friendship is also what I remember from my early days in Buddhist centers. I don't remember too much about the specifics, but I do remember the way people related to each other. You know something I, I also realized that I found over and over in any Trivarana Buddhist center? Some people are friendly. They're just basically friendly and basically kind. And I was in England myself as a foreigner, young, 24-year-old. And when I came, went, because my first class was in the LBC, in fact, it was quite dramatic, one of the first ones that taught me meditation, I was taken by how friendly and unassuming they were, you know. There was not any gap in between class or race or the fact that I was foreign. They didn't even, even ask me where I was coming from. And I, I love that, you know. Mm. It's just friendly lot. Now, I didn't know, actually, that Vajramati had taught you meditation. Vajramati, folks who are listening, is the chair in New York City. Mm. And he's downstairs in the puja at the moment. <laughs> he's here. He still looks about 40. He's probably <laughs> yes. about 140. But he's like... <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realise he taught you. That must have been a yeah. long time ago. Oh, that was about 86. It's quite curious, isn't it? Because there's that sort of relationship where a long time ago, this man teaches you meditation. Here you are. I'm sure you mm. couldn't have imagined this would happen, that mm. you're in a retreat mm. centre in Mexico. He's here. And he didn't and, even remember me, and he, and he doesn't remember you. There you go. So two days ago, I just told him, you know, you were one of the first who taught me meditation at the LBC. I said, really? Yes. Huh. Well, no, well, can I ask, what took you to London? Why were you in Europe at all? I had a friend, a very close friend, and we were traveling around Europe, and he came to do a PhD in psychology, a PhD, and he was pursuing his career here in Mexico. So I was on my way, according to me in that time, to go to France, because I, I was very interested in French culture. And all that. And, but really, I was just looking for, honestly, I was looking for fun, and this is what I thought in my mind at that time. It was the 80s. I thought, I really must look for a place to party. And I did not feel for the United States, but I loved the rock bands in England and Ireland. And I thought, if there is somewhere to have a great party, it must be England. Little <laughs> did I know 
<laughs> I don't think I've ever heard somebody know. say, yeah. I went to England to party. Yeah. <laughs> like, coming from Mexico. Coming from Mexico, yeah, that's right. And when it took me very little time to realize that those rock bands and those great bands and great musicians are compensatory to what... They are, that's right. Well, I mean, there always has been a great underground scene in Britain, in London particularly. But in this country, you know, we really appreciate at that time the Sex Pistols, the Cure, the U2. I mean, it was, it was like, God, these guys must be... So I went, I came here. So I had a crisis at that time and then I went to a meditation class and that really... I love it. I love it. I love it. It took me about six months to go to my second class. But then I loved <laughs> it again. And then I got involved in the Croydon Buddhist Centre and loved it again. That place had something, you know, so mm. beautifully done. So classy. Now so. that's... The, okay, so here's an interesting thing. Mm. I did think about this yesterday when we arranged this interview. I hadn't quite clocked before that you had gone through Croydon as a training. Mm. Now, for people who are listening, most of you probably don't know the history of... Mm the Tretton Buddhist community. The Croydon Buddhist Centre in the 80s was an extremely yeah, successful, extremely. extremely successful Buddhist centre and they had a really wonderful art centre attached to it which attracted some really big names, heavily intellectual names. wonderful restaurant. And a wonderful restaurant, Hockney's, I believe. A vegetarian restaurant, very well known in London as a place to go. Yeah. And I think it's probably fair to say the situation fell apart at a certain yes. point. Yeah. There were some real difficulties. Yeah. We don't really have time to rehearse all that just now. Oh. If you're interested in this, you can look on thebuddhistcentre.com on the Triratna section, click on Our Story, and we'll take you through some of that. Yeah. But from now, it's quite interesting that you trained in a place that was not just about success, but it was about success in the world. Yes, and beauty. Because... Whatever you might think about the old chairman of that place, he had a, such a good taste in art, in books, in food, in decor. And even he looked after the way people dress. I mean, the people were waiters and people were serving. even had the detail and the fussiness to go and say, don't wear that, wear this. And mm. when I first arrived at that place and looked at it, and taste the food and look at the people I was just like what is this place this mm. is wonderful so it's interesting that you picked up that culture yeah. early that culture of success yeah. and attention to detail at, and at, doing things at, well I tell an incredible sort of thing that happened I went to a talk and I don't know if you know this writer biographer who's called Michael Heroid yes and he was given a talk I have the recordings I went I have the recordings Michael Heroid is speaking I don't know if he was speaking about Little Strachey or Bernard Shaw. Listen, I think it was Little Strachey. But I went, this is great. These people are serious. They're inviting serious. I mean, that's the way I got across Michael Herod, you know. And I loved it, you know. The books they had, the finesse. It was something fine, beauty, hmm. details. And it looked very healthy. Yeah, yeah. So I tried to join that community. But... I was lucky because I had a lot of experience being a waiter in London because by that time I'd been a waiter for one year in London in many different restaurants. Mm. So I introduced myself to the chair and I said, I like to work here. Why? Because I'm in love with your place, man. This is beautiful. I'm coming from Mexico and say, great, what can you do? I said, I'm a waiter. So I was fairly experienced, so he took me on and I was there for a while. It was great. It was now, great. did you leave before the whole thing fell apart? I left before the yeah. thing fell apart, and I was taken on by Pamaluka, 
because mm. my friend was living in Pamaloka and the chairs there invite me and say they couldn't get me there because these are things and what but Pamaloka took me on and then Winkers mm. at that time which was the starting but Jokeitu yeah. had taken on over the running of Winkers and he was expanding it so let's just pause with that arc of training at Croydon and particularly the exposure to something really well done I suppose, again, without getting into the whole history of, of the Croydon Buddhist Centre, one of the things that definitely seemed to go wrong in Croydon was around control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I suppose that's a big question, isn't it? Is how do you do something brilliantly and sustain it and not have it just be about you and the way you want mm-hmm. things to happen? Because actually, let's face it, things generally do go well when a very strong person with strong vision yeah. leads. But how do you make sure that control doesn't become an issue? I don't know. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I escape that myself. You know, I got well. It is a hard question. You know, I as you say, the the very successful ventures and initiatives that need a strong person, but it reaches a point in which that strong person is to go away and allow others to take over. But at the same time, have an input. You know, a lot of the mm. things that has happened throughout the history of Trinidad, it seems like big people stop being or given the input to the situation, but then they go well away the situation and no There's no continuity. Yeah. And that's a pity. Hmm. I mean, in a way, this is a good question now, isn't it? Because here you, you've had success, a lot mm. of success, and sustained success, and you've built a situation. And you are in that unusual position of being, for a lot of people, you are the portal. You've mm. built the situation in which they've entered the house of the Dharma. Mm. In many cases, I'm sure you're their first teacher, mm. maybe their main teacher. I was. Yeah. Probably. And that's probably still going on. All the people here from Mexico, I'm sure most of them, you must have been one of their main teachers. But not anymore. It's the last five years. It's 19 right. other members. So there are a lot of other members doing yeah. it. In fact, there are a few preceptors already here in Mexico. There are two already. Mm. Yeah. So they, they are very well experienced, other members, and teaching some of them with 12, 13 years of experience in the mm. order. As you can tell, you know, it's Nianadakini and it's Vera City and it's all the people who are just great, you know, to work with. Mm. They just, I never quite had this thing about vertical calinometer, you know, as soon after they were involved, I just got them on board and I started working with them. So it's the best way to get to know someone is to work with them. So it was very easy for them to see my limitations, my contradictions, the things I needed to work with. And at the same time, I guarantee there was something bit more experienced than me to come along and give input. I was right. very close friend with Mokshananda and with Parmi and I managed months after I arrived to Mexico to book them to come here. And once they came here they've been coming in for 20 years. Oh, so this so, is another element isn't yeah. it? For people again who picture Mati's crash course on how to start a Buddhist centre. Another key element is friendship. You're bringing people in to work with you. They see your strengths, they see your limitations and you're bringing people in from the outside. But you know, these, these people, they have to provide something that you cannot provide. That's right. And they can provide it because they are the best when they come, you know. I don't know how they like when they go back home, you know. I don't know, really. Oh, they probably mess. <laughs> <laughs> but when they come here for two weeks, three weeks, they are the best. And they give in. So people fall in love with them. There is problems because after they leave, they compare you with them. And you're not... Well, you Which is match with them. terribly unfair, but I'm it sure is, it does it happen. Is. But it happens, you know, so if you don't mind. And then another key element is that I try to send people to England as soon as possible. Because 
I got a lot from the training I got into Ratna through Winkos, Hawkins, and all. Mm -hmm. And I tried them to experience that. So soon after I came, even months after I came, I started sending the first Mexicans to England. And some of them stayed there for 10 years, some of them five years. So all in all, I sent about 50 people to live in England mm -hmm. throughout 20 years. And my rejoices goes to Winkos Trading. They helped me to train so many. So now, do you think you can offer that level of training here? Because winter Australia is no yeah. longer there. Oh, honestly, not. No. I don't think so. No, no, no. Uh, you know, whatever good things we're doing here is 19 of us. It's 20 of us. It's not much to what they will find when they go to places where they have hundreds of other members or, or, or men's events at Pamaloka or going to Adishtana. Or they get to meet people like Pamavaja, which have far more experience than me, people like Subuti, whatever, you know. When you got in touch with a culture of Trivandrum that has been there for so long, it's not 20 years, it's not 25, not 30, it's 40. It's 50, you get, 50 years. You get a sense that there's something else, you know. And the scale as well. I was recently at an order gathering in the UK and I think 480 people mm -hmm. on the event, which is nice. still a fifth of the order or something. But, yeah. you know, being with that many people with cases around their neck and practicing together it's you extremely know, moving and you know what is very touching for Mexicans to experience when they go there when they go to a large gatherings and they experience the pujas you That's might right. think whatever about the pujas but you guys English, Scots, Irish sing very beautifully because you are accustomed by the Anglican church or whatever church you were to sing <laughs> whereas in Mexico we don't sing now you said this to me the other day when we were out and is that really true the Mexicans just don't sing? No, we sing individually, we sing great. Or some people sing great. But when it comes to collective, collective singing. singing, it's awful. Don't Mexican soccer fans, football fans sing? Because in, in Britain okay. there's a whole tradition of football fans sing together, no, rugby fans can. sing no. together. The only thing we sing is the equivalent of Happy Birthday to you and the national anthem. And that's not that's very... That, no, that's, that's not, not very... Inspiring. Yeah, football. Hmm. So when people go there, it's not only that you sing tunefully, it's more like you have developed a way to sing the mantras. Two voices, three voices, which is bliss. You know? When people experience that, they go, wow. Okay, so just keeping this thread going, you're identifying that one of the weaknesses in the situation at the moment is you can't offer the kind of training that people yeah. can get elsewhere. Yeah. Some of that's context, yeah. scale. But presumably it's more than that. And you hinted at this the other night when you welcomed all of us so kindly mm. to the, the centre in La Roma. You talked about you can have success on the one hand, but on the other hand, there's still work. So have you got a sense of what comes next? You know, How does that work go forward? Well, you know, I do believe we have a recipe that works. In a way, the Buddhist centres are, as I said, right livelihood. But they're right livelihood of, of a sort, you know. They become like academies or colleges sort of universities for Buddhism just Buddhism so a lot of people come and get a taste of Buddhism get a taste of retreats yoga and things they provide some means so we can carry on doing activities and throughout all that hundreds of people some of them get involved and we have a way to channel that involvement through courses and retreats and longer activities things like that and then it's when the community sort of like shapes mm. So we have a means to get money that we need, but we also have a means to get people involved who are seriously. I mean, it's a drawback, you know, because you don't get the intimacy. You don't get the one-to-one -one level 
than many people need in order to pursue their involvement. But on the other hand, you get the energy, you get the confidence, you get the sense of belonging to a, a large situation and do you think, that helps them. Do you think as more order members gradually emerge from that large number of people who come through, do you think as more order members emerge, it will be easier to find places for intimacy at the centre? Where you I hope can, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are places where the intimacy... I mean, there are people who are not keen on big activities, big audiences, so... Therefore, it's not a cup of tea. But the way we train any new order members, sometimes meters, to start teaching is by inviting them to do small groups, small courses. They go through that for a whole year. They get their thing together, the way they express the, the material, they feel more comfortable. And if they prove to be successful in keeping a group, then we develop something else. And we approach them or we gently push them to go through larger activities that they want, if they want. If not, some of them are quite happy. Like, for instance, Manju Bodhi, who's a very good meditation teacher, but he's quite quiet. So he does small groups. He doesn't want to do big groups. Karuna Saki is also very quiet. She does small groups. And we don't push her to do big activities. Mm-hmm. we got our rock stars, and we got our more down-to-earth, intimate one-to-one relationship or that. So that side might develop more in time. I hope so. I hope so. 20 years. Yeah. And do you feel just as enthusiastic about this as you did then? I mean, do you want to just keep going for another 20 years, expressing your Dharma ambition in this way? Or are there other things you'd like to do? No, there are other things I'd like to do. I honestly would like to be able to train more members to do what I've done. I think I've learned something that could be very valuable to many, many other members, and I'd like to teach them how to do it. Because mm. honestly, honestly, regardless of how graciously you said things about me, I don't believe I'm any special, any other order member. I think what I've done, it could be done by many other order mm. members, equally or even better, because I have things in my character that might get on the way of developing things. But I think I could teach people the ABC, because very often we're thrown regardless of what I say about Bhante, with more enthusiasm than his skills. And we need tools, we need to know what works, what doesn't. And I have learned that, and I love to share it with other people. You know? I mm. love to give people some sense that this is what you could do, and be sure this would work. Okay, well, I come from a situation where we have started a small centre mm-hmm. a few years ago. Where about? In Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. And we recently decided... In the United uh, States, obviously. Yeah, and we okay. recently decided we had our first chair, and we had big conversations about vision and we decided we would like to go big we'd like to ideally we'd like to buy a really big place but we realized we didn't have the resources yet so what we decided to do was was spend one year trying to find the resources to go big okay so i'm going to invite you up and you have to come and help us do it because i think you're onto something with we assume that because we train in how to practice the Dharma in our lives, that that means we're qualified to go and run centres. Now, on a teaching level, we are, to some extent at least, but actually, most of us have no idea how to start a big situation, and what you've got is invaluable, and it clearly works. You know, one very good way, if you're very, very seriously about how to run a big centre, is that it would be very good if you got trained in a big centre for a while. You know, join the LBC, join the Manchester Buddhist Centre, Join places just to get the feel how things are. You don't have to be there six years. Even a few a small visits and take part and just find out how 
things mm. around might give you some elements to know because what happens is that you really think or you must learn things from zero when you go to a new situation how to do publicity how to start up a website how to get into facebook how to talk to people how to get people involved all the things that people are not teach in chairs or anywhere so the best way you can learn it which is what i did i was in different big centers learning the trade and once i had it it was fairly easy to to place it here so that's a way that's a way so what else would you like to do other than pass on your learning i like to work on materials where we can teach or introduce people to what the dharma is i honestly think that banti is quite neglected in terms of his books his teaching his ideas many people don't know so many things that Bandi has gone through and they're very, very valuable. I like to make it available for people to understand it, to teach it well and to promote it. And not only that, I'm very keen on video and visual aids. Also, I think we, some of those talks could be translated. Just someone reading the Fimalakirti invitation, some of the chapters, mm. and making a very beautiful sort of like animation of the key ideas Mm. We're in the same line of work, my friend. Another thing that I think people need to, to understand is that it's changed the way people learn. I know there's TED Talks, I know it's big thing, I know there are a lot of sciences. Still, you got this person talking to, almost like giving a sermon yeah. to people, and the people delighted. But we are not quite TED, not quite big thing. We need to make use of other ways to engage people in the teaching, which means we got meditation, which is great, a way to experience what we're talking about. Secondly, we got great ideas and we can pass on, but we also need visual aids, attractive visual aids. We live in an age in which people want to see, to engage with visual. And third, people like to talk. People like to partake on the ideas. It's nothing worse at being in Triratna. Unless you have a brilliant speaker in front of you, you can sit one hour on the floor to listen to him. But if you're not, just speak for 20, 30 minutes and allow people to speak with each other. Yeah. And they learn far more than what you think. And then some way to pursue that with practical sort of snippets that they could place in their lives. Mm. If you have those five things, people would not only appreciate a lot what you're trying to say and teach them and pass on, but you will plant seeds that might ripen and then become more involved, or if not, then they will ripen in their lives. Hmm. Great. Well, I strongly suspect that you and I are going to keep talking about this, and we're going to work together to try and bring not just actually Spanish language things into okay. the mainstream in Triratna, but some of these ideas, yep. these recipes for success, yep. because the world needs more successful Buddhist centres. And you know what I like about these interviews? Yes. That you listen to me? <laughs> you can cut that. <laughs> no, 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 that's going in. Well, Ipexarati, thank you so much for your time. Um, really great to finally get to catch up with you with an interview. Yeah. Maybe we should talk more regularly. Yes, please. Sometimes we have regular guests on our podcast. I think Could I extend an invitation to the audience? Please do. I mean, here's Mexico. If you're thinking of a place to go and have a Dharmic holiday, as you were. Yes, you know, yes. I mean, 
you can believe that beautiful you, I hope you put photographs of these retreats I have been putting photographs up and you cannot believe how lovely this place is yeah. and actually I'll tell the you food coming here for a week cost $300 US yes. yeah now you cannot stay somewhere yeah. as luxuriantly beautiful not luxury in the sense of gaudy or over the top yeah. in that rather awful contemporary mm. sense but somewhere simple elegant well thought through just graciously designed mm. for you to come and relax and study the dharma and meditate it's really beautiful mm. there's a swimming pool for goodness sake mm. they give you amazing food mm. and it doesn't cost very much money and actually I'm pretty sure if you got in touch and said I don't have much money yeah. I'd like to come yeah. and help oh, yeah. you would find a way here yeah. as well and so, why not think say if you got six weeks why not thinking of what about if I go to Mexico Take one of those six-week courses and learn in Spanish as a second language. I mean, you can contact me on Pichamati. I can find you somewhere to stay with another Mitra. Partake on the activities, learn a language, and just have a break from your life and from things. And also get into it. Because we appreciate people coming from abroad. Yeah. They bring something that we don't have. That's right. Regardless of whatever wonderful we have, we don't have the whole range of Trirana. And to run its people after all, you know. It is, that's right. And we're going to work to take the best of Mexico using the internet yeah. out there. But if we can get people coming here, yeah. the training they're going to receive, yeah. the experience they're going to receive, and most of all, the welcome yeah. they're going to receive. And they're going to gain friends. New they're going to gain friends, yeah. And a sense of beerness that Trirana can offer to people. Mm. Yeah. We're bigger than whichever centre we come from. Yeah. Sadhu, my friend. And we'll be back with more Buddhist voices. Lots lined up, all very interesting. None more so than the Nipekshamati. You watch. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) See you soon.